by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings in the church here. We follow the Lutheran Service Book One Year Series of Readings, LSB One Year Series. This Sunday, will be the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. Sometimes things get a little confusing in these uh, November weeks, these Sundays after Reformation and after All Saints Day, the Sundays before the end of the church here. They kind of all run together, but they also have a, a kind of a common theme too. They're they're really pre-Advent uh, readings. They're kind of getting us ready for the celebration of Advent, and I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that, but uh, you'll hear some uh, some Advent themes kind of creeping through in our readings, and that's a good thing to uh, to get us ready for that. The introit for the twenty second Sunday after Trinity is Psalm one thirty, and Psalm one thirty is an awesome psalm, and it will set the stage perfectly for the readings that are coming. Vicar, take it away. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There you have it. That's the introit for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. Uh, Pastor, Psalm 130 is an extremely significant psalm uh, for a variety of reasons. We have it in our liturgy in uh, Divine Service Setting 4. Uh, can you give us an historical context of what's going on in the background with Psalm 130? Well, uh, Psalm 130 is a, one of the songs of ascent, uh, which is a, kind of a unique set of the psalms. Um, and uh, 
What they have to do is on the, the second temple, on the southern edge of the Temple Mount, there was a staircase that went up to uh, two sets of gates, the triple gate and the double gate. And this is the gates through which most people entered the Temple Mount area for sacrifices, for whatever purpose they were going up there. Uh, most of the pilgrims came that direction. And the way that it worked, the staircase was very, very wide. And as you stood on each one of the steps, you would recite one of the Psalms of Ascent. And then you'd step to the next step and you'd recite a different song of Ascent all the way up there. And so the uh, Psalm 130 uh, falls into that particular category as a Psalm of Ascent in that way. It would have been one of those that was sung at that time and in that place. And so I don't know if that's what you're kind of looking for in that regard or if there's something more. No, I was, I was looking for the uh, King David connection is what I was looking for. Okay. So, uh, but I mean, that's very helpful. Because why are you going into the worship area? Why are you going into the temple? What are you going to get there? Well, forgiveness of sins through the shedding of blood. And forgiveness of sins through the shedding of blood. And so it is, in that regard, it's a confession and absolution psalm where we are confessing our sin and the reality and receiving forgiveness. And so I, I imagine your connection you want to make is through King David and Nathan and Bathsheba yes, uh, yes, and Uriah. Yes, yes. Which uh, Psalm 51, I think, really clearly brings out what's going on with that particular situation. Uh, I'm not, is this Psalm one of those as well related yes. to that? Okay, yeah. That's something I wasn't aware of. So. Yeah, Psalm, Psalm 130 um, has, has uh, definite connections to the uh, David Bathsheba um, calling Nathan, calling David to repentance, and you are the man. Um, the reality of the uh, of of sin and the reality of the goodness of God. The um, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Uh, Vicar, that is a rhetorical question. If God counted our sins, who could stand up to that? Not a soul. Not a soul could stand up and say that they don't have any sort of immorality or any iniquities. Yeah, and in our Divine Service 1 and 2, we, we say uh, that quote from 1 John 1, uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, so Scripture teaches this. Scripture teaches this everywhere. But in the antiphon uh, that we have there, Verse 4 of Psalm 130. But, Pastor, why is that but? The heart, the core, the soul of the Christian faith. Well, um, that but is where, it sounds really weird to say it that way, doesn't it? That, that but there is where everything hinges, where um, we go from sin and guilt and shame into life and salvation and forgiveness. And that but then is Jesus uh, who hung on the cross and died. Uh, and there's the great exchange that takes place where our sin is placed on him in baptism and he dies for it. And uh, his great eternal inheritance uh, is placed upon us at the same place. And then we get to uh, rejoice in all the gifts of God as a result. Uh, and this all comes about through faith worked by the Holy Spirit, uh, and so it's kind of a neat thing that takes place there with the forgiveness of sins uh, given to us in Jesus. Many times, and this is, uh, this is a, a great Bible-studied lesson for our hearers, many times when there is a but 
in Scripture. This is a clear indication that now is a time when you are being taught the proper distinction between law and gospel. In sermons also. In sermons also. And in hymns also. I mean, this is, uh, this is a marvelous, marvelous teaching tool that God has given us. Uh, the, uh, the wonderful theological but. And when you think of Romans 6.23... The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This happens throughout Scripture, and uh, if you haven't, if you haven't been uh, thinking about this, and I'm looking right in Vicar at Vicar right now, uh, this is one time when God wants you to have your eyes on the alert for buts. He wants you to be looking for them in Scripture. Uh, not as they uh, pedal their bicycles or uh, walk at the uh, Star City Shores. Uh, keep your eyes off of those butts. But here, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Harsh, severe law. There is no standing before a holy God. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Pastor, there are a lot of people that would say, and, and uh, even many churches that would sincerely say that it is not loving to point out that people sin and that the church, if it really wants to be a loving church, it has to stop talking so much about sin and forgiveness and just welcome all, be a welcoming place based on Psalm 130, 3 and 4, the antiphon for the 23rd Sunday after Trinity, or 22nd Sunday after Trinity. How would you respond to that? Well, um, I, I would disagree very strongly with that, and maybe my example to kind of drive this point home is uh, when you know you have cancer and it's going to kill you, that's hard. It hurts. You cry, you weep, your family hurts and cries and weeps. Uh, you go to the doctor and you get painful treatments uh, that make you throw up or that uh, radiation burn your uh, body in different places and ways. And uh, so that's difficult and hard to understand. Um, it's the same thing with our, our faith. Um, we, we face this difficult world and this difficult life, uh, and yet we still need to hear that we have an illness. Uh, that way we can face the treatment. And I think that's the same thing with our you know, with, with cancer. You need to hear that you have cancer so you can receive the treatment. If you don't hear that, then you have no idea what's going on. Is it loving to just let somebody die? Is it loving to just let somebody go to hell? Uh, no. The way to treat it is to speak the truth about things according to God's word, and that's what we try to do. That's probably a little confused because I think I got mixed up in the middle, but... No, I I, uh, I think it was pretty well said. And um, uh, what what may seem like a loving action to ignore someone's thoughts, words, deeds, lifestyle is in fact just the opposite, is in fact just the opposite. If you do not tell your kids that running out into traffic is dangerous and may kill them because you right. want to be their friend and you don't want to say anything negative or harsh to them, uh, that is the height of irresponsibility. Or, or drugs, or drinking, or premarital sex, or extramarital sex. Plug, or plug in any 
sin or any barrier of protection and love around your kids or around other people. And this is this is what so many people can't understand. Right now we have this big, big uh, push, you know, that um, everything is all about choice. A woman's body is her own and that, <coughs> excuse me, abortion should be legal and celebrated. And then you talk to someone who has who has had an abortion and they're consumed with guilt. Not because the church is preaching guilt. They're probably not going to church. But they're consumed with guilt because their conscience is attacking them. And that's what we have going on here in this text. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The depths of what, Pastor? Sin, death, and all that goes with it, uh, which oftentimes leads to depression, to weariness, to sadness, uh, to difficulties getting up and every day and facing what you know is going to be another crummy day. Um, that's the reality of what sort of things we're facing. And then by extension, the fulfillment of all this, I mean, this is just a taste of it, right? In this world, God is still good, providing all that we need to support this body and life. But what this all uh, finds its culmination in is eternal death, which is hell and suffering and all that comes with that, which awaits those who are without faith. And so it has that double meaning there when we're talking about the depths of woe that we're in. There's first here and then the yet to come that we deserve because of what happens here. Praise be to God that he takes that away. Amen. That guilt and that shame are real for our sins. And we don't have to stay there and live there. God's steadfast love endures forever. It manifests itself on Calvary's cross. Forgiveness is real. Forgiveness is full. Forgiveness is free. Forgiveness. That's what the 22nd Sunday after Trinity is all about. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we look at the upcoming readings to prepare us for our Sunday worship. Today we're looking at the readings for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. In our first segment, we looked in pretty great detail at Psalm 130 and talked about God's gift of forgiveness, proper distinction between law and gospel, and keep those themes in mind as we take a look now at the gospel reading for Trinity 22, Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Vicar? Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, 
but 70 times 7. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison, prison until he should pay off the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, Pastor, what comes to mind is, uh, you know, you've got small children. My kids are all grown up, but I, I have small grandchildren now. And when, uh, when the kids are fighting. And oh, that never happens. When the, uh, when the kids are fighting in a normal home and parent steps in and you've got two really bitter, angry children, they're fighting over a toy or fighting over the outcome of a game or, or whatever, doesn't matter. And a parent says, now tell your brother or your sister that you're sorry. Tell them you're sorry and say it like you mean it. Give them a hug. Yep. Yeah. Um, you tell me, is that a good thing or is that a hypocritical thing? Well, I think it's a good thing with children and probably with this gentleman as well in our scripture lesson because it does model it. But the, the problem that ultimately comes down to is, is the forgiveness really being asked for and received within the heart, which is probably where our problem comes from, which is why Christ then teaches us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, we pray that because we need help with that a lot all the time because we're very poor at doing that uh, and so it's good that jesus teaches us to pray that and that's the problem my kids have and it's the problem all sorts of people have and we see that laid out for us very clearly here in this particular parable some people have said that the purpose the mission the reason for the christian church's existence is the forgiveness of sins um what do you think about that 
It's absolutely true, uh, so long as we understand all that comes with that. When sin is forgiven, then life and salvation are present and multiplied, uh, and care and service for neighbor can be there as well. And so all these things go together, but they hinge upon, kind of like we talked about in our first segment, the forgiveness of sins, that great but that uh, uh, reminds us that Jesus bled and died so that this might become the reality. And that's then how we as Christians ought to view all the people that are in the world. I think this is something we really need to think about as we get close to another election year, especially one that's going to be as contentious as this next year's is, as we well know, um, that all these people that we're mad about that vote different ways than us or that uh, whatever the situation is, maybe we even ought to remember it about, um, you know, Ohio State fans and things like that. These are all people that Jesus has died for and granted forgiveness of sins to. And we ought to maybe treat them like that's the reality if we are Christians. And, um, boy, I sound like uh, Pia Desideria there, but uh, that's not my goal. But that's the reality. Christians ought to live this way. Well, where, where I'm driving at here is if the church's mission and purpose is truly the forgiveness of sins earned by the perfect life, bloody death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus, freely distributed to us by word and sacrament, if the forgiveness of sins is God's goal to, and and quite frankly, the way he builds and extends his kingdom, then the forgiveness of sins should be pretty darn important to every Christian. Right. Is that a fair assumption? Definitely. Okay. And one of the biggest problems we have in the Christian church. Now, there are some parts of the Christian church that are sidetracked with uh, uh, social gospel and you know some of these other things where, where Jesus is given a Sunday off all too often and uh, the cross and empty tomb are given second, third, fourth place. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's horrific. That's terrible. Repent. Preach Jesus. What I'm talking about is in a faithful church where Jesus is proclaimed in all of his glory and splendor, forgiveness is freely taught. Forgiveness is dripping in the, the readings, the preaching, and the hymnody. Pastor, why is it that Christians who are immersed in the forgiveness of sins find it so difficult to forgive others? Well, there's a lot we could say in that regard. Uh, I we, think got, it would boil, we got a lot of radio program here. Yeah, I think it would boil down to this one reality that because we are sinful, we think we are God, and that, um, sure, we can... Um, we can sin against other people, but it's okay. But if they sin against us, then it's not. Um, and that's part of it. And I think maybe the other part of it is is that we are um, afraid to acknowledge that we are sinful because of what that might mean. Makes us vulnerable. It does. Finally, I think this is the third thing, and it's more and more common in our world today. I think... Oftentimes anymore, we don't know that we're sinners because we've completely abandoned God's word and we've made things that are sinful and inappropriate into our own identities and our uh, reality. And we live and move and love those things um, 
And so those three things, I say, would be the, the places to start. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that this is a battle that we deal with each and every day of our life. This is why we need to return to the waters of holy baptism, drowned and die with all of our sin, lust, idolatry, lack of forgiving, and rise forth a new creation. It is superhuman to forgive someone. And it is impossible for a human to do this on their own. It is only possible by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that lives inside of us. Now, Pastor, when people talk about Matthew 18, they normally aren't thinking about this parable. When people think about Matthew 18, what is it that comes like right before this particular text that sometimes is referred to as the stages of admonition? What is it that comes before and why is it important to know that that is there before we get into this discussion. Yeah, it's the great church reconciliation chapter of Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one that uh, allows the church to forgive one another, or <laughs> I hate to say it, we even abuse that, right? But th- that's what it is. It's uh, if your brother sins against you, how do you deal with it? Uh, and it kind of lays it out in a very straightforward, um, easy-to-understand fashion so that we, by the grace of God, might understand and actually follow it and believe it. Uh, whether we do or not it remains to be seen, but that's what God's goal is in that scripture. So lay out for us uh, briefly what those steps or stages are. Well, let's say that the vicar has sinned against me, right? Uh, he has, um, I don't know, he's calling me bad names behind my back. That one's pretty common. So he's doing that, and I know about it. And so when he sins against me, the first step is, and this is from verse 15 of chapter 18, Uh, It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone with the goal that he'll listen to that sin, repent of it, be forgiven by the grace of God, uh, and then also uh, return and restore to the faith then. And he can be my brother or sister, I guess brother in this case, in Christ. Step step one, one one. one-on-one. Go ahead. And I think it's important to see how this works too in in Matthew 18. this, this can happen at home between any two people. Yes. Step two would be, if he doesn't listen, then I take someone else who knows about the sin, uh, or one or two others, and I take them with me so that they can say, yeah, what you've done against uh, Pastor Moline is sin. And now we have several people from the church that have confronted this sin the same way in a kind and loving, caring fashion. Okay. So step two is two or more witnesses. Yep. Keep going. Uh, Then we get to verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, Uh, which means, and and the way, when it says the church, this means to involve the whole organization and say, you know, this is what the vicar's doing, and I've confronted him with it, and he hasn't repented of his sin. I've brought other people with me, and he still hasn't repented, and I'm concerned about his spiritual well-being, and so here's his sin, and uh, the whole church confronts him together, uh, which is, once again, the goal is not to embarrass him or to humiliate him or bring light to his sin, but rather it is to uh, help him be restored to the Christian faith, pure and holy in the forgiveness of Jesus. We usually think of those three steps, the stages of forgiveness or the stages of reconciliation, but there is a fourth step, Pastor, that uh, Jesus clearly teaches as well. 
Yeah, and this is the second part of 17. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And we call this excommunication. Um, And this would be formally stating at the beginning of a service, uh, same time we receive or refuse members saying, this person is no longer a member of our communion of faith because of this particular sin. We pray that they might repent and be restored. Uh, And that's our goal in doing this. It's not, again, to embarrass or to bring light to things, but rather to encourage repentance and forgiveness of sins. Unless our sin is seen as serious, we have no appreciation for the forgiveness of sin. So, God has forgiven me. How often should I forgive my neighbor? This is really tough. This is Proclaiming One. We'll answer that question when we come back. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Uh, Great words in a uh, a great hymn, a little schmaltzy, but a great hymn. And uh, we we are taught that salvation and forgiveness comes to us as a free gift through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as God has freely forgiven us, we are to forgive one another. Pastor, we love forgiveness when we are on the receiving end. And we hate forgiveness when we are on the giving out end. Why is that? <clears throat> well, it's, it has to do with um, our own sinful natures, which like things that benefit us, um, but uh, because our sinful natures really love ourselves uh, above all other things, we don't like it when other people uh, receive benefits. And so um, that's just the reality of this sinful world, I guess. Um, there's not a lot we can do about that. Um, it is what it is. We don't want to forgive. We want to be stingy with our forgiveness. Uh, we want to withhold forgiveness. We want to limit forgiveness. And that's really what's going on here. When Peter comes up to Jesus in the first words of our text, Matthew 18, 21, Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Vicar, um, why would Peter ask Jesus about how many times he should forgive his brother. And he's not talking about his physical brother, Andrew. We joke about that. Uh, What a naughty boy he must have been. No, we're talking about a brother in Christ. If somebody sins against you, uh, the same sin, the same sin, the same person, the same hurt, the same pain, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times? Um, Why would Peter ask that question of Jesus? Well, Peter and Jesus were just talking about the, the binding and loosing of sins. And Peter wants to know, when do I say enough is enough? 
Uh, when is uh, enough going to be enough to not forgive them anymore and to be able to have the power to uh, damn them myself, as it were? Okay, so, so Peter, by asking the question the way he does, he wants to know the limit. He wants to know the rules. He wants to know, basically, how to justify himself. At what point in time can I withhold forgiveness? Seven times? Um, he said seven times. Uh, is that a lot? Is that a little? What's going on there? Well, um, <clears throat> there were a group, and I have to think about who the actual group was, a group of Jewish teachers at that time who taught that you should forgive the same sin up to three times. And so when Jesus says seven, that's uh, more than double the amount of forgiveness. Or when the, the question gets asked, you know, should I forgive twice as much then? Uh, seven times, a complete number. And Jesus takes that and even uh, expands it even further, almost to a limitless amount. And so Peter's question is saying, I should give a little more forgiveness, right? And Jesus' answer is, absolutely, to the very extreme of forgiveness. And so that's what's going on here. So... Peter thought he was being really, really generous by saying seven times. Yes, he, he thought so. And, Vicar, how does Jesus respond to this uh, rhetorical question that Peter was asking, oh, uh, you know, seven times? He was expecting Jesus to say, oh, seven. Oh, what a wonderful Christian you would be. Oh, oh, to forgive somebody seven times. Oh, oh, I'm going to elevate you to the right hand of God. How does Jesus answer? Well, he answers a rhetorical question with a rhetorical exaggeration. Um, not, not a literal 490 times. We're on number 491. Uh, you shouldn't forgive them. But um, he's saying he, he's trying to exaggerate a point here, and that's when he goes into the parable about it. And so the point that he is making, Pastor, is that forgiveness is limitless forgiveness is without strings what uh, what is jesus teaching peter and by extension us yeah the to say that it's limitless or without strings uh you could say that uh, but that denies the reality of faith actually changing the person that we are. Uh, the reality is, yes, we should always be willing to forgive and eager to do so where there is confession and repentance that is uh, present there in that person. Now, that doesn't mean that we are foolish if you're egg basket breaks and all the eggs fall on the ground, you should be very careful the next time you put the eggs in there. But we ought to be willing to forgive any time that that necessity arises. Now, the reality is, as Christians then, too, we ought to, um, in our sanctification through the work of the Holy Spirit, we ought to realize uh, how much forgiveness we ought to give and do it willingly more and more all the time and live in such a way that uh, that becomes pre 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 predominant again amongst us Whew, having trouble talking this morning so the uh, the the gospel itself is without strings the gospel itself knows no bounds and knows no limits Christ bled for all, Christ died for all, Christ rose for all. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are freely redeemed by the justification that comes through the blood of Jesus. Uh, 
Uh, God's Word teaches this, especially in the book of Romans. And now Jesus, in this parable, is teaching Peter and he is teaching us, and this is a long parable, this is one of the longest parables of all. Uh, Jesus is teaching us at the same time how hard it is to forgive and how important it is to forgive. And in the words that we don't like to hear very much, at the end, uh, Jesus' uh, summary uh, teaches about the consequences of an unforgiving heart. And uh, we don't like to hear those words, but those words are important as well. So, Vicar, can you, can you summarize just a little bit uh, what's going on in this parable? Jesus tells this parable, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. What, uh, what, what about this king? Uh, uh, put it in your own words. Well, I suppose the father has given his son to forgive us um, in something that could be comparable to the worth of 10,000 talents. It's something that's comparable to, it actually comes out to be a little bit more than $2 billion compared to the... In today's money. In today's money, compared to the 100 denarii, which is uh, just a, a few months' salary. So you have been given forgiveness through the Son so plentifully. How could you not, if you trust and believe this, how could you not uh, forgive your brother from, from your heart as you have been forgiven? Okay, so the Jesus tells this story about a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. So one is brought to him who owes him 10,000 talents. And like you said, this is millions of dollars. If I remember right, a, thousand, or a talent is the equivalent of one year's, sir, uh, one year's wage. Roughly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, okay, so so we got this amount of money that can never, ever, ever, ever re be repaid. Impossibly high, yeah. Impossibly high. And since he couldn't pay it, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had to payment be made. I'm not going to recoup all my debt, but I'm going to sell you into slavery. I'm going to sell off your wife. Uh, you know, uh, people trafficking was common. You know, we're going to sell you off, and I'm going to recoup as much of my losses as, as I can. What did the servant do at the sound of the consequences of his debt? Yeah, and he, and he is a slave to start with, which is crazy. His life doesn't belong to himself. It belongs to his master. And so this amount of debt is ridiculous. So what does, he, what does he do? He falls on his face before the master, and he says, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon me in this incredibly high debt that I cannot pay no matter what I do by my own actions or reason or strength. Um, please grant me your mercy. And then in verse 27, Vicar, verse 27, what did the king do? Released him and forgave him all the debt, knowing full well that he couldn't pay him everything anyway. Okay, so he set him free. Mm -hmm. He released him. He forgave him. Forgived him. He forgave him. Um, We're he, all on a roll this morning. Yeah, we are. <laughs> He did, he did not give him a coupon book and say, I want you to pay me a half a talent a month for the next 30 years. 
He didn't say, well, as soon as as soon as you uh, get a little money in the bank or as soon as your rich nephew die, a rich uh, uncle dies, I'll come back and haunt you again. He set him free. He forgave him his debt. No conditions. No strings attached. Forgiveness full and free and vicar as as i I just wanted the the bare bones the the grammar of the text before and you were like three steps ahead of me this is the equivalent as you said of god forgiving us an impossible debt because of our sin we owe a debt to god and we can't pay it back no matter how hard we try um when no matter what we pay, pray, or obey, it can't come close. Now, there are some religions that put you on a time payment plan. And you have to kind of pay back God on a systematic or regular basis, generally by your good works or your good deeds. You are climbing the ladder to try to earn or merit some kind of status or forgiveness with God. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't do fractions or arithmetic. God doesn't give strings or conditions. The forgiveness that Christ has won for us is, as God's word clearly teaches, once and for all. God's word clearly teaches, it is finished. And so now... The question becomes, dear Christian, you are forgiven, full and free, no strings attached. What are you going to do with this forgiveness? Pastor, is that a fair way to set up the second half of the parable? Yeah, I think um, the, the place where... We have to be very careful is with the no strings attached thing. There are no preconditions or anything like that, but we're expected to live in that forgiveness in a way that's worthy of it, a manner worthy of it. We can't, this is, um, St. Paul talks about this, I think, again, in the book of Romans when he says, what then shall we do? Should we continue to sin so that grace may abound by no means? Uh, that's the reality. Now that we have been forgiven this great debt, we live a life that is worthy of what has been given to us. New life New in Christ. New life in Christ. New life in Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about when we come back from our break. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship Sunday morning at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. We also gather each Wednesday evening, 630, for worship. That's year-round. Anytime we have a worship service here, we broadcast it live on KNNALP 95.7 in and around Lincoln. So check us out that way. If uh, you're outside of our listening area, you can get the handy-dandy handheld app 
uh, for your handheld device. Uh, check out your app store for KNA The Cross or check us out on the website www.thecross957.org. We've got archives there. Much of our theological program are available on podcasts. So check us out. Give us some feedback. We, uh, we love to hear from you and uh, we are very, very thankful for this opportunity to proclaim the crucified and risen Christ for you. We've, uh, we've been talking about forgiveness on our program today. 22nd Sunday after Trinity is all about forgiveness. In our first segment, we looked at the introit, Psalm 130, and the forgiveness there and the impossibility of trying to say that we don't need it or that we're not sinful. In our second two segments, we've been looking at Matthew 18, 21 to 35, we are talking about not only the forgiveness that we have from Jesus, but now what does God want us to do with the forgiveness that we have received? Jesus has a question asked of him by Peter. How many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. Peter thinks he's being generous. Peter's trying to justify himself about what a wonderful Christian he is. Jesus teaches this parable about a man who has been forgiven more than he could possibly repay. During our break, uh, Pastor Moline went online and uh, did a handy-dandy little calculation of what 10,000 talents would be right here, right now, in 2019. Pastor? It would be 14000000 dollars yeah, piece of cake, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think Vicar said that was the GDP of the nation of Israel this year. So. Wow, yeah, that would even make somebody like Warren Buffett squirm. And so uh, you just can't pay it back. It is impossible. And shockingly, and, and forgiveness is shocking, folks, uh, we, we got to get this in our mind because yeah. the interest every year would be Nine hundred and eighty million dollars, just seven percent interest. Wow, wow! So uh, the the numbers here are staggering, and this is, uh, as Vicar said in our last segment, this is the equivalent of our debt that we owe God. We cannot pay it back, no matter how hard we try. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death. Our debt is unmanageable. We can't pay it back. And in the parable, the king. As the person comes and begs for mercy, the king shockingly forgives him all his debt. Forgives him all his debt. He released him. He set him free and forgave him the debt. Um, In our earlier segment, we talked about when you have a but and how many times that but is a gospel but. Here... We have, in our proper distinction between law and gospel, here we have a but uh, functioning just the opposite. Just the opposite. Vicar, do you want to read those words starting at verse 28? But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master, master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Okay, that's far enough. Um, Pastor, I think you could probably make a good case for the fact that, that this servant was so far in debt, and now his slate was wiped clean, and he was just trying to be a good steward. He just didn't want to get back into the same problem that uh, he had before. How would you respond to that kind of a approach to what happens in our parable? Well, uh, that'd be a really nice uh, thought, but I don't think that the text backs that up because uh, he didn't kindly go to the person and ask him, hey, can you help me pay this off so I don't get caught up in debt again? Instead, he grabs him by the neck and starts to choke him and then throws him in prison, which is uh, kind of the opposite uh, manner of how he had been treated. And then additionally, um, it is violating different commandments you know you shall not murder which hurt or harm your neighbor and falls under that he's uh, breaking god's word uh and treating his neighbor as well so it tells us something i think this is where we need to go it tells us something about his faith um it, it and, tells us something about his faith quite frankly it tells us about his lack of faith right he was he was willing to receive the forgiveness from his king but he really when you got right down to it he really wanted no part of it because he was not going to show mercy or to forgive anyone that he came in contact. It was all about him. It was all about him. His faith was in himself. The lack of mercy, you pointed that out. He began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Uh, his fellow servant pleaded with him and begged him pretty much that the same way he pleaded with his king. I think uh, it's almost verbatim, almost verbatim. Going back to our original question, Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Pastor, how is the second half of this parable a response and an answer to Peter's original question? Well, what it is is Jesus asking Peter, how much has God forgiven you? I think this really comes to light at the end of the Gospel of St. John, where Jesus three times uh, absolves Peter of his sin of denying him three times uh, during Christ's trial. How much has God forgiven Peter completely and totally so that Peter gets to live forever in the place where there's uh, no suffering, struggle, pain, or uh, anything else like that? Every tear is wiped away by God's own hand. Peter gets that. And if that's the case of what Peter has gotten, how ought Peter live? How ought he forgive? He has been given everything. Why couldn't he share that with those people who are around him? Even if his brother Andrew sins against him every day, 85 times a day, 100 times a day, a million times a day, Peter has that much forgiveness to spare. 
the uh, the way I started out our program today was by talking about when kids are fighting and a parent comes in and says say you're sorry say it like you mean it pastor can we really in any way shape or form force someone to forgive another person you can't force anyone but god always gives opportunities for this to take place confession and absolution it happened with adam and eve in the garden god came and asked them what had happened of course they at first denied it they blamed each other they blamed satan they passed on the buck Um, god finally takes care of it by covering their sin with blood covered um, animal skins and garments and the same thing happens every time somebody sins david when he sinned uh, against god god sends nathan gives him the opportunity to confess uh, and to receive absolution this is the way it always is and i guess the thing that maybe we should take from this particular scripture passage is we ought to take advantage of the opportunities we have to confess and to hear the absolution spoken to us and we ought to cherish that and we ought to give that that same uh, opportunity of the people who sin against us so that they too might enjoy that absolution and the grace and mercy that God wishes to give. What a great blessing all of this is in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and why wouldn't we want to use that tool of forgiveness everywhere and anytime we could? I love how you brought up how when uh, when we have uh, sin that is unresolved and un- unreconciled, the opportunity to forgive is a tremendous opportunity. It's an opportunity that we don't always see. It's an opportunity that we sometimes don't want. That's why uh, we began this study of the gospel by looking at the verses before the gospel in Matthew 18. When your brother sins against you, go to him one-on-one, bring two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. This is all so that that opportunity so that that opportunity can be realized in the Christian church. The Christian church lives, thrives, is founded on the forgiveness of sins, won by Jesus on Calvary's cross. God wants people to forgive one another as Christ has freely forgiven us. That's why he taught us to pray for it in the Lord's Prayer. That's how crucial and as important as it is. But the problem we have in the church today, quite frankly, we got a lot of problems. But one of the bigger problems that I see, people do not know how to forgive. People get mad. Uh, they get offended. Um, they uh, become little snowflakes. And they run and they hide And they don't give people the opportunity to relish and celebrate reconciliation and the forgiveness of sins. Pastor, how do we turn this around? How do we uh, make the church not a welcoming place where people don't have any consequences to their sin? How do we make the church a forgiving place? Well, um, it's really up to God's work and not to ours. And so the question you're asking is sort of uh, upside down in that regard. It starts with him forgiving us. And then we talked about how we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We ought to, as Christians, uh, start to do that. And it may be silly things and uh, involving just even in your home family life when someone says, I'm sorry, 
Don't say, it's okay. Say, I forgive you. Those words, I forgive you, acknowledge the sin and absolve it all at the same time. Uh, And then as we start to forgive other people, maybe they'll take uh, and follow that same example in faith in Jesus Christ to forgive one another also. And so what you can do is to start forgiving people and not holding grudges and uh, to believe the word, to be in the word, to hear it spoken to you and to your sin. Uh, and and that's, that's how I think that grows within the congregation. We tell God, I'm sorry. God says to us, I love you, I forgive you. When those words become a real part of our human relationships, the blessings that he has for us are never-ending. You've been listening to Proclaiming the One. We've looked at the readings for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. Sunday morning when you get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessing in the forgiving arms of Jesus. See you next week.